Welcome to the E6 Podcast from Colonial Church, a place for candid conversations about what our church community is learning, what's going on in the world, and how it all applies to our lives as followers of Jesus. This is episode number 80. That's the 80th time I've said that now. And my name is Brooke, and I uh, have, some, have some fun friends along. Tanner is out of town, so we have Lauren, as usual, and a special guest that's here with us, Mr. Brett Swiger. How are you? I'm great. How are you today? Man, good. So glad you're here today. Brett has uh, specifically begged that we do not talk about sports. Uh, I'm not sure if I was supposed to say that out loud. That's all good. But I was dictating as he was saying, don't do this and don't do this. Um, I, think, I don't think you were supposed to read that off the teleprompter. Oh, right. Yeah, sorry. sorry. All I said is I wouldn't have much to contribute. <laughs> yeah. Um, do you have a favorite play? I'm just kidding. Yeah, it's hilarious. Um, no, yeah. He's he. You, uh, I don't know. Are you the kind of guy that says, "Oh, they started. Well, they're going to get into it." So I'm going to fast forward to the beginning of this real quick, and uh, I can uh, neither confirm, neither confirm nor, nor deny. deny well, but I, I, I yes. Yeah, yes. he can't today because he's here with us. <laughs> well, the irony so. is, all the people who are in Brett's <laughs> camp of fast forwarding through the first few minutes aren't even hearing us right now. They're That's not even right. hearing us it talk doesn't about even matter. the fact that he is well rep- he is representing <laughs> a good portion of I'm sure of our. I'm listening. proud of those people as well. <laughs> yes, that's right. That's right. Okay, well, to dive in because we have a lot of things going on. I wanted to go back and update us, Brett. If you or or anyone who happens to be listening that normally skips to the beginning, um, several weeks ago we uh, we 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 learned about a story of a man in Canada who. Um, Is he back again? Don't just give me a minute. Oh, give me a second. This guy decided that he found a string of a, a, a thing of string cheese and he posted, made a big banner uh, billboard, like bought like like down in there, like main square of this of this city and uh, big billboard. And um, he was putting it up for trade. He knows what he has. No low balls. Um, and it was really funny. So I've been trying for weeks now to see if there was ever going to be an update. Turns out um He's not real. The cheese was not real. Oh, no. The whole story was made up. It was an ad campaign by Black Diamond who uh, who sells the cheese. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. And all these and news, we're suckers. All these news channels like totally bought into it. It turns out they got like 200, uh, 213 million earned media impressions, which I assume is a lot. I don't know. It sounds like a ton to me. But uh, they paid an actor to answer the phone and act like this guy and talk about trades with people. And they got more than a thousand offers. And ultimately they were just playing on the, the nostalgia of everybody saying, Oh, you remember when you used to like, we used to go to school and you'd be like, Oh, what snack do you have? And be like, Oh, I got some string cheese. And they'd be like, I'll trade you my apple and this for that. And and so they were playing on the, uh, I, I think they meant Oreos. The people would do that with Oreos, <laughs> right. not the string, string cheese. cheese is like, <laughs> right. Ah, right. Stuck with your string cheese. You have or the, or uh, well, the snack pack puddings. That's right. Those that's were, right. yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. So that that's is, that was the whole thing. They uh, and and obviously as all these media outlets like totally bought into this oh story. Oh my goodness. And even our little <laughs> podcast. We're like talking about it for 3 weeks in a row. I just thought it was hilarious. It's an ad like, campaign. That was it was brilliant and smart and they and it worked. I confess I love good marketing. And and by good I mean effective marketing. Yeah. Like it doesn't even have to be like I don't think that's good. That's just silly and but it worked. But it worked. And yep. so it, it gets you talking. I I just thought of this um I'm a big comic book fan and Mark Ruffalo who played the Hulk. Um he was being interviewed and he's not techie at all. Reminds me of myself. 
and he evidently was doing some kind of um, Facebook Live <laughs> and um, did it for a while, and then he thought he turned it off, put it in his pocket, and he's on set filming <laughs> the, the newest Avengers movie at the time, Love. and it's on forever, and his his pocket is just vibrating repeatedly because he's got many, many friends. He goes, I got people all over the world literally trying to get my attention saying, Mark, your Facebook Live is still going. And they're <laughs> filming stuff. And he's like, I, and I'm, you know, I'm respectful, so I'm not answering my phone while I'm working. And finally, a lady comes up to him and just taps him and says, turn your Facebook Live off. And um, he got in big trouble with the producers because sure. there was a couple things that were revealed. <laughs> and he, he got like chastised for it. That's awesome. Long story short is after the fact, they said that was better marketing for anything we did, including hmm. the premiere of the movie. Like wow. it got more traction in the media. And of course, that wasn't purposeful. Sure. That was accidental. But I'm, I marvel at effective marketing. I you see, know, I see what you did there. You like that? Yeah. Let's tie it all together. Yeah. It's all about string cheese. <laughs> so they're all about string cheese. Well, they, they even said, they were like, yeah, we even, we tried to make the picture as lo-fi as possible, <laughs> like make it not look great. So it was just like some random, ins- I just thought it was funny. Man. It was hilarious. Anyway, I wanted to give us an update. So um, are you guys, are you guys uh, snake people? No. Are you like, no. you see a snake and you kill it? I, is that the only good thing a snake is worth? I don't even kill it. I, run. I almost stepped on a snake camping a couple weeks ago, and you should. <laughs> well, Jessica saw me as I jumped back in the dark as a rattle or uh, coiled That's up right. and started shaking. It was an actual rattlesnake. Oh yeah. So I, I'm glad she didn't have me on video because I probably didn't look too too manly. Yeah, too courageous. But I'm not a snake person either. But. Those no, 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 those no. who live in uh, Duquesne, Pennsylvania, this past week have been warned by the police that they need to be on the lookout for a white python that escaped. Yeah, how can you imagine? Hey, Wichita Falls, we need you guys to be on the lookout for, for this uh, this massive python. That'd that... be a galvanizing news update, though, because they're <laughs> half of our town, including me and Brett, evidently would be you know. Just running for the hills. And the other half is like, sweet, you know, <laughs> got their guns out. And uh, yeah, exactly. <laughs> it reminds me of it reminds me of the uh, the, the Sunday morning um, several months back last year. I think it was maybe two years ago when uh, we, we we all got here early in the morning oh, yeah. and there was a raccoon in the building, like loose in running the building, down like, the hallway. And he was like up on top of the yeah. shelf and literally <laughs> almost like attacked me as it was trying to get out. And that, that's the elder mascot. I don't. Did we not? Did we not give you the memo? That's we call him bandit. Yeah. We let him. We let him in on purpose. But yeah. So the uh, so the police are telling everybody you need to be on the lookout. So apparently the family members of the owner had uh, said that Gene Simmons, the snake's name, he escaped. <laughs> <laughs> that Gene Simmons escaped while the owner was carrying the python around the neighborhood on a walk. Yeah, I don't get that at all. I he apparently just picked it up and said, well, "It's time for a walk." You know, just like we take your dog for a walk, or you push the stroller around and go for a. He was taking the uh, python out for a walk. Police say it is five to seven feet long. It's white and has bluish tint for eyes. Like that sounds creepy to me. He likes taking long walks. He in likes the park taking long walks. And <laughs> Uh, so the uh, so the people of Duquesne are now um, either like all standing on chairs, terrified that 
you know, every toilet or door they open or step they take in the grass is going to have a five to seven foot long python in it, or they're out hunting it, trying to find it and catch it. I don't know. No, no, no. Snakes. I, I don't <laughs> mind admitting. I, there's some things that, that I can feel emasculated by if I admit to. This is not one of those things. Like, I unapologetically, nope, not a fan. Like, somebody can... Can I tell this quick story? We can even segue maybe to you being an elder here at our church, Brett. When I first lived here, um, and I'm from Texas, but we've been in Colorado for a long time, moved moved back down here. So in the first six months of living here, uh, we had uh, a snake in my oldest daughter's room, like in the house. We hear screams from the other side of the house. And long story short, I called John Renault, long-time friend here, a former elder here at Colonial, he comes over. It's like 10 o'clock at night. Um, he's asking me questions. I'm trying to identify it. I don't know snakes. I, I'm embarrassed about that. It turns out it's a it's a rat snake. You know, I forgot which kind, but it's it's you know it's actually good to have around, and it kills rodents. And but it's in my daughter's room, and she's standing up on the bed, <laughs> dancing, screaming. And so, um, and I didn't know if it was a rattler, you know. And uh, anyway, I just Indiana Jones is my uncle. Um, we hate snakes. Not a, not a big fan. Not <laughs> just a big not, fan. Just not going to no. <laughs> Well, uh, yeah, that's all I got for today. But, Brett, you are here. Thank you for being here. We're excited to have you. We've been uh, hoping Thanks. to have you on here for a while. Um, we'll have to get your, get your wife in here at some point and uh, get her on the microphone because we love her as well. So um, give us, uh, for, for people that don't know you, you are... Um, you are one of our one of our current elders here at the church, but tell us about your family and being a part of Colonial and all that kind of stuff. Yeah, sure. Uh, we came here with the Air Force about 10 years ago and um, have had Colonial has been our home that whole time. Uh, I've got four kiddos, married to my beautiful wife, Jessica, for uh, 20 years now. We just celebrated last uh, last month. I married way up, so... <laughs> that's that's been very good. You um, did. I think all of us know that. Do you say 20, sure. yes. 20 years? 20 years. Nice. Congratulations. And we have four kids, and our anniversary is on July 4th, so it's hard to... We don't have family like mm. right near here, so it's we still got to figure out a way to go actually celebrate our anniversary. <laughs> um, but it's been a good 10 years. I transitioned over to the Air Force Reserves, and I fly for an airline here now. Um, and so... Our oldest daughter is a sophomore in high school, and then I got all the way down to a first grader. Uh, three of the four are homeschooled, and um, Wichita Falls is home for us now. And both my wife and I are Air Force brats, and then I served in the Air Force. So 10 years to live in one place is by far the longest either of us have ever lived yeah. anywhere. So it is, it is interesting. It's fun uh, to feel part of our, a, a community. Hmm. I'm curious... Uh, how much of a Texan do you feel like you are? Obviously, to some significant degree, not at all. You've been everywhere. You've been all over the world. Yeah. But you've been here 10 years now. Yeah. How, how much do you feel like this really is a, a part of your DNA now, your, your home? Yeah, we live in Texas also, uh, down in San Antonio when I was a kid. Um, but as an Air Force brat, really home is where, where we're at and where our parents are at. So my parents have lived in San Antonio for 20-plus years. My dad actually... Um, he, he was an army brat, but he went to high school in Mineral Wells, Texas, an hour and a half from here. Um, and so I do consider myself I'm Texan, um, among many other things. So it, <laughs> it, it is hard to things. be like, I'm for sure that one thing, uh, which is still something I'm 
currently wrestling with how, how the, my upbringing and my careers in the military and uh, flying around yeah. different uh, parts of the world and mostly mostly parts of the U.S. Um, for a living, like what that means for for my long term, um, I guess outlook on life, how I see things versus I, I, I'm totally excited for my kids because my oldest came when she was five. So this really is their home. This is home for her, and she wants to stay here until she graduates high school for sure. Mm. Um, and so it'll be interesting. Just She's got a totally different experience yeah, than I did different. growing up. Yeah. But we've got pictures of her all over Europe at the uh, Great Pyramids in Cairo, and she's all, too too young to remember it, but we're like, we, you've also, this is part of your story too. So it, That's cool. It's a fun journey to be on. I've enjoyed, um, even recently we went on an elders retreat, and one of the things we were talking together about was this idea of being a third culture kid. Mm-hmm. And so without going down that rabbit trail too far, that's something you and I have in common. Mm-hmm. And some of our listeners, it's it's where you've moved around so much and or your parents don't even live where you grew up anymore that you don't you don't really have those roots, those ties. And there's a lot of challenge, there's, there's beauty that comes with it and adventure and all that, but there's a lot of challenge to a lack of roots that that I know I still struggle with. You know, my parents oh, yeah. my parents live in Lake Kiowa, just east of Gainesville. They moved there when I was in my thirties, you know, and I don't I don't get to go back to where I went to high school. I don't I don't have friends that live there. I went to your in Europe, you know. I know that's true for you. And then a lot of our listeners, especially our military folks, but even some of our non military folks that have moved around quite a bit. Um, Tanner would be the opposite extreme of that, you know, been here his entire life. Yeah. Randallette, just up the road a little bit, Big Pasture High School. Wichita Falls has been his world for literally 30 years. Um, it's a unique community in that regard. I think we have a lot of third, third culture kids here, so to speak. Um, yeah, uh, somebody on that retreat recommended a book uh, called, I'm trying to pull it up here because I've actually started listening to it. It's, it's a long book. It's like 21 hours of audio. Uh, but Third Culture Kids, and I, uh, I think it's pulling up now. Third Culture Kids is the name of the book by uh, Pollock. And uh, I, I'm just curious to see uh, if I qualify as a third culture kid. Not that that really huh. matters, but yeah. al- also I, I think even in America, as growing around most of my time in the, as an Air Force brat was different places in America. But even that, I think, is some totally different cultural differences That's true. depending on when you're at. Uh, but it didn't have to be international by oh, any sure. means. It's yeah, just and, and, and their definition is really it's an internet, it's like a passport holder. Uh, but I think some truth supply, and, and they're starting to get into the book of what like what that means for those people. Uh, because they have those people, even if they're coming from totally different cultures, this isn't just a book written to or about Americans who are third culture kids. Uh, but there's overarching trends for third culture kids despite whatever culture they were originally a part of and then went to. So mm-hmm. it, it's, it's fascinating. I'm, so I'm just trying to delve into it again to see yeah. what I can understand about myself, about Jessica better, and uh, again, where, like how, how this impacts us trying to build a long-term community in, a, yeah. in Wichita Falls, for instance. Yeah. I, I can see your longing. I can relate to this. Your longing for Kate, for your kids, to not experience the homelessness yeah, that you've experienced, um, and yet all at the same time you cherish your your memories of yeah. being in Europe, being in Egypt, being in the Middle East, different parts of the, the U.S. So it's it's a weird it's a weird place to come from. I'm still learning. I'm 52, and I'm still learning about how that's impacted my worldview and um, and forgetting that my kids don't see the world that way. Yeah, totally. Um, yeah, uh, three of my kids say they're from Colorado still. 
<laughs> and yet, um, their memories are fading. I mean, they're probably 20 years from now, not going to say that, you know, we'll see, we'll see what happens. This is the stuff you fast forward through, huh, Brett? No, this is this is good stuff. It's more the it's about it's about, it's about just, me. It's about me, so it's good stuff. It's, it's, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's exactly what it is. No, no, this is I <laughs> did not say that. <laughs> uh, so okay, so before so you guys have been in Colonial for um, ten years, which yeah. is which for a military person, um, my family has been very similar, and we've moved around and worked at some different churches, lived in some different states. So ten years is a long time in one place for some of us. Yeah. Um, what has, what has that journey in, in colonial been like for you with different lead pastors with a, a time that we didn't have a lead pastor? Um, I think you were, you were a deacon. Yeah. Right. And uh-huh. then, and then becoming an elder. Like, what has that, what has that been like for you guys? So, uh, I think it's, it's been a steady, um, growth, I think. And just, and I hope my whole life is on a, trajectory towards being more and more the person that Jesus wants me to be, right? Um, but I do see myself as hopefully a, a closer person to Jesus than I was when I showed up 10 years ago, and uh, w- we definitely learned a lot when Jim was the lead pastor um, and in, in the interim. I got to be on the pastor search team, um, bringing Lauren on board, and then... It is, it is partially your fault that I'm here. Yeah. It's good. Let's make that um, clear. No, it, no, I, I, I own that, Lauren. Uh, no, it was a, it was a good experience, but also a very challenging experience because you know we didn't want to, you know, we felt like, hey, this small group of people that were just kind of put together in a room together by the elders, um, hey, go and go and figure this out for the church. <laughs> we don't, we don't want to mess this up. Um, but again, I think it was a great time of being like, what does God want for us? And out mm. of that has come the vision from the, the, the team that met together what it's been three years now um four. i was four wow yeah. okay um Time flies. i was a deacon for oh man maybe two years and then asked to step on as an elder and through that again i think i actually will we'll talk about unoffendable here soon but i actually read this book i forget when it exactly came out but around the time and not soon after it, uh the author released it and uh just having that posture of not being offended, of not trying to have my own way, of realizing that I'm not in control anyway, I think um, has helped me. I'm still not the patient person that I imagined myself to be. Um, I'm still not there yet, but hopefully through the last 10 years of of walking out community here at Colonial, I am um, continuing to grow. That's, That's my prayer for myself, my family, and the rest of us here at Colonial. Let me put you on the spot, Brett. Um, what does it What does it mean to you, especially for a lot of our folks that understandably don't even know what the the office, the position of elder is, from Scripture, the way we we see it here at Colonial? Um, what does that mean to you to be an elder? What's your understanding of that role? And um, I'll go ahead and double down with um, what's been hard and or. Uh, really good about this experience for you? Yeah. Um, first off, coming from a m- military background, what I want to see an elder is definitely not is being the take charge kind of, this is how it's going to be. We're going to take this hill and it's my, like chain of command. It is not thing. that. 
And I forget where I heard this, but probably in the last six months or a year, I heard someone relating an elder to being not a shepherd of the flock, if you will. That is one picture the Bible paints, but I think a more, uh, more, a better illustration there would be as a, sh- a sheep dog, or or I'm still uh, I, an elder's job is really to help protect the flock, to pray for the uh, flock, uh, and by flock I just mean the the people who call colonial home, uh, because all through Scripture a flock is is kind of referred. God uses the shepherd and flock metaphor to to speak to a, a culture who understands that I think more than we do, but it's just the the body of believers moving in the direction, and so. Um, I don't just like Jesus tells his disciples like it's not about when uh, two of his disciples are like hey who who's the greatest among us like who's can we sit at your left and right sides and he's like it the greatest of these is going to be the least of these it's so so it's really uh, walking out Christianity but especially in a role where we've seen so much news within the last several years uh, where church leaders have. Ooh abuse their power, right? It is not about a place of power. It's uh, reminding myself I'm serving from a place of weakness, of brokenness. I don't have my act together. I don't know all the answers. Uh, But I have a relationship with our Lord and Savior who wants what's best for his people. So I I really see the role as uh, a group of people who are just trying to help where we need to be um, faithful, where we mm. need to improve, wh- how we can better serve our community to be mm. in that vision of uh, continuing to make disciples here in Wichita Falls and across the world. Mm. Uh, and I'm not fishing for anything. Any Anything come to mind about just your experience in general? You've been an elder, I should know this, uh, <laughs> but you've been an elder for uh, a year? Yeah, it's 18 been a, months? almost a year and a half, uh, a year and a half, I yeah. want to say now, yeah. Um, you know, to the folks that, that have no clue what that experience looks like, um, how's it been for you? It's been, again, a growth experience for sure. I came in thinking, hey, I've got some great ideas, and I think I can help um, help in some ways, which I, I still think is true. But more than that, it's where's there's four of us elders, Pat Page, Doug Marchand, and Lauren and I, uh, and it's really the f- four of us just seeking the Lord, seeing where he's speaking and leading, and being uh, slowing down and not rushing into a bunch of quick decisions. Mm. It's about being still and knowing that he's the Lord. It's about, um, I've heard the example of it takes a while to move an aircraft carrier. You can't just quickly snap, and I don't think we need to change everything right now but i do think there are especially coming out of covid and Mm -hmm, just still mm -hmm. people still trying to figure out how to relate to each other after such a major life-changing experience for for all of us like how do we continue to look to build community Mm -hmm. here at colonial Uh, so that's still my heart is how we can continue to improve here at colonial um with our community building with us all feeling more connected and more known with each other yeah um but I also have realized over the last year and a half that it's we see things differently, even as elders. Like we pray for unity all the time, but we still hmm. need to be still know like where it, the it's the unity that the Holy Spirit, that Jesus and God are showing us that, that they're modeling to us. Like that's the unity we're looking for. We're not just trying to be unified just for unity's sake. 
it's that we are all pointed towards Jesus together. Mm. And that takes a lot of understanding. It takes a lot of patience, just like this unoffendable book. Like it takes intentionality, yeah. even among the four guys in the church who are eldering. Yeah, which That's is it's a good reminder that it's got it starts with us first as yeah. as, as the uh, underdogs or the uh, sheepdogs, if you will, not underdogs, sheepdogs. Uh, and we, I mean, we should all look at ourselves as underdogs. Jesus is our is our champion, right? We're I don't deserve to be anything other than a mm. than an underdog, right? So I think it's uh, it, it has been a tremendous growing experience for me, mm. and it's been it's fun to uh, get to work side by side with you, Lauren. Absolutely, I I as I think about our elders, I'll, I'll say this for the benefit of our our interested, curious folks that call Colonial home. Um, we, we're praying for more elders. We we want plurality of leadership. We've got four. Um, we agree that man, at least five, if not seven, maybe nine, is is a is a mature, solid place to be. But having said that, I'm not blowing smoke when I'm just when I say this. I'm so grateful for you and Doug and Pat. We have four very different men. Um, we've got an educator in Pat, longtime leader of of leaders in the education world, works for Region Nine. We've got an entrepreneurial construction company owner in Doug, who will just do anything for anybody. Um, you've got your own just all over the world, uh, well-read, uh, passionate uh, perspective. Um, and then, you know, I'm a hot mess. But the, the <laughs> four of us, I just love that we're united in a very genuine, God-honoring way, yeah. seeking the Lord together. Yeah. And yet we've got very different opinions. Yeah. And... Um, I feel like a lot of mutual respect for each other where we can disagree, but still work, work toward, you know, consensus on things and make the hard decisions we need to make. And, um, so grateful to do this with you, Brett. Same. And, uh, and finally remembering even zooming with you from Colorado, you know, four and a half years ago about, is this where God's taken the Joneses? And, um, I've, I've got fun memories of that too. So thanks for being here today. I'm, I love that you read, you want to go into the book maybe, I, I love that you read this book, Unoffendable, years ago. I was looking, it came out in 15, so it's been out for a while. You read this before you met me. Um, you, you probably had just met Brooke. You got, didn't you come in 16? 15. 15. 15? Um, I love that somebody gave this to me, as we've talked about a couple weeks ago, and I put it on my shelf, you know, about a year and a half ago. Um, what, what are your thoughts in general about Brent Hansen's book, Unoffendable. What, what, before we get into maybe some of the meat of, of a few chapters. Yeah, I, I think overall I, I was attracted to it because I heard about it, I think, from him. He used to be on Air One as, I think, uh, I might be wrong, but maybe the morning DJ and him and Sherry, his producer, who's, who's essentially, uh, she, I think she plays the role of producer, but she was also like his co-host, if you will. Uh, but they both had a, a, I don't, I'm not really a talk radio type person, but they're just super engaging. He seems real. Uh, he has a level of, uh, I think, os- uh, Asperger's that he uh, openly admits. Like, it, it was a struggle for him even even uh, now, I think, just to not feel socially awkward. And he, I think he talks a little bit about it in the book, if I remember correctly. Um, and I just, sk- honestly, I skimmed back through the first six chapters, and then I read uh, 7 through 13, which um, we might be talking about today. But the, the reason I was attracted to his book is because he's, 
he's somebody who is very transparent, very open with uh, struggling with issues, uh, not having all the answers, and even his book itself is very from what it looks like like transparent. He's not afraid to like hide his or to to speak truth on like things he sees in his own in his own life that need work. Mm. Um, and and to realize that you know he was he has a what a lot of people would consider disability and he still while he struggled with it he still uh put him like still went in a direction in his career where god has used him in tremendous ways and hopefully spoken to other i i remember after reading this book i happened to be sitting in the back of an airplane with with somebody and we just struck up struck up a conversation he was uh, a younger guy and he basically was saying he didn't know what was next because he suffered from uh an Asperger's or Asperger's-like uh, mm. disorder, and I shared with him about Brant Hansen's story, and he's like, "Oh, really?" So uh, this guy, I, th- I don't think he was a Christian, but I'm like, "There's this guy who wrote a book. Look, check it out, or look at his yeah. his radio show." Um, and he's done a lot uh, with uh, Cure International, which is a, a aid or- organization that used to do a lot in Afghanistan. I don't know what they're doing recently, but just a, an interesting guy who uh, I think is on the mark with with mm. the topic. I think this is he wrote this again five or six years ago, and our culture had just become more and more offended. Um, so I think it was a very, very timely book. Yeah. And I think I'm very glad that I read it when I did because uh, hopefully, again, I am I am offended at times, and I, I do overreact, and I do get angry, but it's a fantastic reminder of mm. that's not what we're called to be in Jesus. Well, as we uh, as as we dive into the book here, um, we've been this is our our third week to talk about this book with a couple more weeks to come. So if this happens to be the first time that you're listening and you're in the middle of the book, you can always go back and um, and and listen to the last couple of weeks as we started off. But before we before we dive into the seventh through thirteen that we were talking about this week, um, we had a question come in about about the pod, uh, podcast last week, the episode, and and so I want to want to hit that first before we dive into this. So um, this question comes in and says, um, so calling back to last week's podcast, how do you not confuse joy with happiness? There were some things that were mentioned in the podcast as helping bring joy like uh, next summer's vacation or Dr. Pepper, um, which might be consi- might be things that are considered to make you happy, but not necessarily result in joy. So how do you tell the difference between the two? Uh, the, the first thing that comes to mind is, uh, I think it's James 1, where James says to consider it pure joy. And I don't have the verse in front of me, but, but essentially consider it pure joy, my brothers, whenever you face trials of many kinds. And then he goes on to list a list of virtues that come out of those trials. And it is a passage on being able to suffer and suffer well, and not just suffer for suffering's sake, but suffer for the cause of Jesus to, to bring about the, the glory of our Lord and Savior. Um, so, so right there, it's just so so obviously not the same thing. Not, hap- <laughs> not necessarily. I, I'm not called not to be happy. Not necessarily feel good in the moment. Right. I'm called it, to be it's a deeper, joy-filled. more deeply rooted. That, that's the first thing that comes to mind when I think about comparing joy and happiness is happiness could be the taste of Dr. Pepper on my tongue. That's <laughs> just instantaneous. It's, it's just for a second. It's not deep rooted. Um, joy could be uh, uh, Paul in prison, you know, when he's not where he wants to be. He's not doing the things he wants to do. He doesn't have freedom. 
and yet he is so deeply rooted in his identity in Christ and his purpose for living that he is talking about joy and, and it doesn't make sense on the surface. So that's the first thing that comes to mind to distinguish. Sometimes it's easier to say what it's not <laughs> than what it is. Um, that, that's good to go, I think, right to James 1. That's a good good call. I think when we were talking last week in context, if I remember right, um, about specific, you know, in the spirit of, of finding or choosing gratitude, I think was the context, uh, and how that diffuses anger, diffuses being offendable. That's where we got into a little bit of, man, we've got to pursue the things that bring us joy, focus on the things we should be grateful for. And we went down this you know, bunny trail of, of fun things to do. Even, even maybe even to confuse, that's where we confused. Maybe this question asker is that sounds a little more like just pleasure, you know, which is where it really gets messy for me. If I can almost backtrack a little bit is there's a fine line between joy and happiness also in that I think sometimes as Christians, we see things that are pleasurable and we think that's a bad thing. You know, I think in some ways you could go right to the subject of sex. Um, and you could say the, the, the pendulum can swing all the way too far to where we see all the awful, not God honoring aspects of sexuality um, and think, okay, sex is bad and, and therefore associate sexual pleasure. That's bad. When, Bluntly put, that's from the Lord. That's a gift from God. That that sexual pleasure is a gift from God. It's just meant to be experienced in a certain context. And so um, I think we can blow off things that bring us happiness. I love football season starting. I am so excited. I have wasted some time already looking at the calendar and when's when's my team playing and um, set my DVR like I think I've set my DVR like four times because I don't want to miss it, which is <laughs> stupid. But and that's not necessarily joy that's that's pleasurable but i also think god delights when in in our pleasure too you know and so it's 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 definitely if there's a venn diagram of sorts there's a little overlap there i think um maybe to go a little deeper on purpose i the first thing i grabbed when you mentioned this question earlier this morning brooke was i grabbed my richard foster classic book called celebration of discipline um, it is just a, a uh, top-shelf book on spiritual disciplines. Um, he is way smarter than me, and I, I had to read it slowly the first time and, and, and slowly perused it again and again over the years. But one of the last disciplines that he lists, and he talks about all kinds of, of, of things that we do to grow in our faith, to, to, to let God change us from the inside out, is chapter 13, it's literally toward the end of his book, is he talks about the discipline of celebration. And really, this is where he's talking about joy. I just want to read a couple quotes out of this. He's talking when I, when I say celebration, he's really talking about joy. He says, celebration is at the heart of the way of Jesus. Jesus entered the world on a high note of jubilation. I bring you good news of a great joy, cried the angel, which shall come to all people. That was the beginning of his life. And then he left the world at the end, bequeathing his joy to his disciples. He said in John 15, Jesus said, these things I have spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. So it's, I love that Foster said, this is at the heart of Christianity is joy. It's part of, partly what distinguishes us as Christians. 
Um, elsewhere in scripture, it talks about the, the joy of the Lord being our strength. That's from Nehemiah 8. Um, and Foster specifically says, we cannot continue long in anything without it, without joy. Um, and then finally, the last point that, that makes a lot of sense to me, and I, I even thinking about it all morning since you posed this question uh, to us, Brooke, um, Foster hypothesizes that joy ultimately only comes from obedience. And maybe that's, maybe that's one difference I'd like to distinguish between happiness and joy is you, you, don't, you don't do the hard thing obediently and then find happiness from that. But you do the hard thing obediently. You sacrifice, you give, you, you live the way of Jesus obediently. And, and from that, the, the result is this deep-rooted joy. Um, and I think that's a supernatural thing. And so Foster even puts it at the end of his book very much on purpose. He's like, the reason we fast, the reason we practice Sabbath, the reason we, we practice silence and solitude, the reason we read the scripture and meditate on it, the reason we do all these, these things um, is to draw closer to Jesus. And the end result is this deep-rooted joy. Mm. Um, I love the, the way Foster just frames all that for us. Um, I'll even be personal real quick. Uh, I've said this, I, I hesitate to say this publicly, but I've said it several times. I just never dreamed about living here. Never. Uh, Wichita Falls is the least beautiful place I've ever lived. <laughs> and I love it here. Carrie and I were talking about this yesterday on a, on a hot date. We go on dates typically on Sunday afternoons and we're just talking about Wichita Falls and our season of life and difficulties as parents and uh, our own parents are aging and challenges in both of our jobs. And, and yet there's this deep-rooted joy in us that is not circumstantial, you know? That, that's maybe where I'm trying to go is, okay, so I used to live in the beautiful Rocky Mountains. That brought pleasure and some level of joy. I am more joy-filled here in Wichita Falls right now than I was in Colorado several years ago. So that's the distinguishing thing, I, and, and which is really a gift from the Lord. Man, I could, I could live anywhere. I can be in difficult circumstances. I could, I could, I can see myself in a prison cell. I can see myself persecuted on the other side of the planet, like like we know people are today for their faith. And yet, I completely buy into, and I could be joy filled because it's it's deep rooted. Um, any thoughts on that from either one of you guys? Putting you on the spot. Yeah, I just pulled up. Uh the fruits of the spirit verse, just so I made sure I didn't leave one out of there. But uh, Galatians 5, 22, 23, this is from the Tree of Life version, but the fruit of the Ruach, which is uh, the spirit. So the fruit of the spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. So I think that joy from the Holy Spirit mm. is the difference between our definition that we're used to of happiness and joy being almost synonyms where... If it's the fruit of the Spirit, if we are walking in obedience, like you said, Lauren, to where God wants us to walk in his paths of righteousness, then joy is going to overflow. Like our cup, like Psalm 23, our cup overflows, as, as uh, uh, overflowing even in times of adversity and trial that doesn't make sense to the world. Yeah. But it's that joy that only can come from the Holy Spirit here yeah. that yeah. that I think makes it makes all the difference. To use that analogy, 
you know, the fruit is how you know if a tree's alive. Yeah. That's, that's how we see evidence of real faith, real transformative work from the Lord. And it's, it's also what just, I know saddens you. We've talked about this. I actually, all three of us in different conversations have talked about this. It just, it, it grieves me the way we as Christians are perceived, uh, at least in mass by so many people these days. And you could even oversimplify and say a lack of joy. <laughs> like they're just mad about stuff. They're just judgmental about things. They're, they're just preachy or what, whatever, you know, at, you know, words you want to fill in the blank, but, but it's not joy filled. Like that's the thing that's, if I think back to my adolescence and my twenties that first led me to finally surrender my life to Christ is I could not get past a handful of joy filled people. I wanted what they had. I wanted to live the life they were living. Uh, and it grieves me that at least on paper, at least in the surveys, you know, this maybe on a macro level, man, in our culture these days, I don't think joy filled is, is a term that a lot of people would use about Christians. Um, I think I've mentioned him before on the podcast, but one of my, one of my friends from Denver, who is a strong atheist, uh, and we don't talk that much. We just really don't have a whole lot in common, but we, we had some shared experiences and he, over the course of several years now, more than once has said, I just don't get you, Lauren, because you're not like all the other Christians hmm. I know. Hmm. Um, but unfortunately, I'm an outlier to him. Hmm. He's overwhelmed with a lack of joy, I think he sees in, in people. So that's probably as about as good a segue as we can get to this unoffendable book is how, what does it look like to live a life filled with joy and not being offended, being angry all the time. Well, and, and uh, you know, if we dive into chapter seven, um, one of one of the things that, that uh, Hanson talks about was that Jesus didn't ask us to, um, you, you talked about this on Sunday as well, he didn't ask us to be a, uh, to stand for truth all the time, that it, it's, um, that it, that's not on, on, on everything, you know, it's not our goal. Um, that he asks his followers to go and make disciples and make other followers, and that takes patience and time. Where we like to, um, you know, we 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 tend to to jump onto that like uh, circumstantial things, or you know that, that that's what makes us happy. Not that we're going to take the time to to sit down with somebody and go through those ups and downs and show them joy in life, and um, and so I, I think it's really interesting just to bring that out of. You know, this is this is a choice. It's you know, you're choosing to follow Jesus. It's mm. not like, oh, I I decided to follow Jesus and now I have all of these things, right? We we talk about the prosperity gospel and um and uh, how how detrimental that can be if if you're doing this because you think you're going to get something flashy or or whatever out of it. But um you know, and then when we when we have that kind of a mindset, we forget that we are here to live life with other people and go through things with them so yeah. we can show them, as you were talking about, um, you know, being that, that outlier. Um, mm. And unfortunately, if we live in a world where a handful of Christians are the outlier, then we're the outlier in the Christians, not the outliers in society in general, where, where in, I think that's what we're supposed to be called to be. Absolutely. I love it in chapter seven and even into eight, uh, he, he talks a lot. He even went a long ways on talking about rest mm -hmm. and just to, to contrast 
how worked up we can be. I, I, like, I even feel it physically when I think about being angry, when I think about being offended, being upset. I feel my muscles tighten. I feel my, my brain kind of stress out a little bit. To contrast that with the freedom that comes in that joy-filled life, in that unoffendable living, um, he talks about rest in such a beautiful way. And I love on the, the last page of chapter 7, page 52, you know, he quotes, you know, Jesus saying, if we come to him, he will give us rest. <laughs> I love his honesty. He's like, man, when I was a kid, what in the world? What's, what's he even talking about? Because he just looked around and saw church people with a lot to do. <laughs> but he talks about, you know, growing in his understanding. And I'm going to read part of this. He says, now I understand that Jesus was talking to a weary, religion-soaked people. They'd been given so much to do and so many rules to follow. So many rabbis had expounded so much the right way, right ways to do things. And Jesus was saying, my way's easy to understand. Kids understand it. It's you adults and, quote, experts who like to make things complex. Uh, I love that. He just speaks of the relief of religious burdens that I really, I, I think I've, I've shifted my thinking right alongside Hanson, the author, that I think Jesus was talking to us religious people when he said that. And you, you guys need to loosen up your grip. <laughs> um, ain't you tired? That's the, that's the title of the next chapter. Um, and it does grieve me. In fact, I want to put you on the spot here, uh, Brett, because I think, I think you try to live into this more than most of my peers. You know, he starts out chapter eight in this culture. If you live a restful life, you'll freak people out. Yeah. What does that look like to you as a follower of Jesus who's still growing, I'm sure, in this area you and Jessica, I know, try to do this together. What does it look like either flat out to practice Sabbath specifically, if you want to go down that road, or just to embrace this countercultural, rest-filled life that, that we see in Scripture that God calls us to? Yeah, let me, let me just caveat this with, uh, I've got a long way to go here. I hear that, yeah. Um, <laughs> I love the idea of Sabbath, of taking uh, a designated rest where you disconnect you spend time with your family and it being just like the Jews practice from sun up or sundown on Friday night all the way to sundown on Saturday night mm-hmm. uh, if I'm saying that right so about yeah. a 24 hour period right um, but e- and how did also it'd be easy I think for me to do if it was just Jessica and I had just be like Jessica we're just gonna turn things off we're gonna because re- we both are <laughs> readers we both love just sitting in yeah. nature and just slowing down but it's not only our culture we have four active kids right and so how to do that well with oh. people who don't know how to sit still for more than 12 You're, or 13 seconds you know Brett, brooke and i both get it we i yeah. just realized there's 12 children between the three yeah. of us we, yeah we're at, we've got ourselves a football team don't we <laughs> um with a sub so uh I think there is something to it, though, for sure. Not uh, Jesus, for sure, talks about Sabbath, but this, remember, is part of the story from the first pages of Genesis. God gives the Torah to a people who have been in slavery for 400 years. Do you think they got a day off in, in slavery? Mm. I, no, I don't think so. So he gives them, hey, here's a picture of what creation looked like. I spent six days creating. On the seventh day, the one Jewish perspective is, he actually created rest, so he's actually still in a creative re- of rest, but he rests on the seventh day. He doesn't need to rest. He's God. He models it for us, What it's, that mm. we—and this also isn't 
the law he's giving to the nation of the Israelites centuries later. He's saying, hey, that. humanity. Yeah. Humanity. I'm I convicted want you to, about that, yeah, by the way. I want you to it's rest. It's not a Jewish thing. I, I used to say, oh, Sabbath, that's a Jewish thing. No, it predates Judaism. Yeah. It's so, a humanity thing. How we wrestle with that. And and, and I also, I, I brought this book just to be able to, to not reference, but to say, um, it's called Finding Messiah. It's by, um, I think she's a doctor, but uh, Jennifer M. Rosner. She's a Messianic Jew. She has a, a chapter in here on Sabbath. And one of the things she said about Sabbath that resonated with me is, uh, and and I am definitely not the uh, hey sat, I, like I worked I was in Costa Rica on Saturday um, and trying to find my my way back in, into America, um, so I'm not saying I'm good at this, but there's something to I think this Jewish mindset where they actually say there's something eternal in that time of Friday night to Saturday evening at sunset, Be, just like the temple for them was a place of sacredness of holiness. They see it as that time is also a sacred time. So mm. slowing down, disconnecting. They don't. I, I learned recently, like an Orthodox Jew doesn't even write on their Sabbath because that's a form of creation. They are supposed to rest from all creation to be able to lean into the rest, knowing that God is enough. And Hebrews, uh, I, just to paraphrase, the author of Hebrews basically says, "Hey, you, you Gentile Christians." Jesus is your ultimate Sabbath rest, right? To, to maybe just paraphrase that a little bit. Mm. So how that actually m- pairs with an actual time period of Sabbath, I think there's something to both, yeah. but also realizing that me as a, a non-Jew, if I don't take my Saturday off like I didn't last Saturday or most Saturdays, it's okay. But to have some time every day, especially every week, to slow down and be like, I don't need to be producing right now. I don't need to be maybe just a lot of times... I think Sabbath, like, I'm going to just turn the TV on and watch something I want to watch. That's not necessarily Sabbath either. That's like, I'm still trying to feed something. I'm still trying to entertain Mm. myself or, like, fill a hole where really God's like, slow down, listen to me, be still, know that I'm God, and give me me some opportunity to speak into you, harried, Mm. busy, stressed-out person. I'm still wrestling with all this. I hear that. I, I want to say this out loud kind of in front of people, so to speak. As, as a couple of our elders, I, I would love to see our church grow in that area over the next few years because it's so countercultural and yet it, it's from the Lord. I'm convinced of it. Um, to your point, Brooke, you made earlier, it, it's we don't drift into that. We have to choose to live that yeah. way, you know? And so even, re, even quote page 56, he says, um, the trouble is our the, the current of our culture is so strong in the other direction. We have to actively choose a way to live because otherwise we'll simply get swept along, hurried, stressed, status-driven, easily angered, and opting for madcap busyness without even knowing why. Uh, Living the usual way, we're prone to offense simply because people can't help but stand in the way of, of what we're straining to get. Jesus tells us to resist. He tells us to deny ourselves. So, this may sound like a leap. Like, why are they talking about Sabbath? Why are they talking about rest when we're talking about getting angry and being offended? It, it's linked together. The freedom we find in Christ and living unoffendable lives, joy-filled lives, is, is it, there's, there's payoff. Shocker. God wants more for us. Uh, he, wants, he wants what's best for us. And he wants, I think, I think rest is right there on that short list of things he longs for us to experience that, Instead, we're just uh, tightening the grip on the steering wheel, so to speak. Mm. 
What about you, Brooke? What else? Keep keep going. What else jumps out of the the book for you, brother? Well, so to, just to stay here in the same chapter, um, if, on page fifty nine, he starts talking about the uh, the pie chart life and and um, when uh, when he's he was in 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 middle school and trying to figure out or teaching how to how do we really kind of follow Jesus? And it's like, okay, well, he does what the what the Pharisees did, right? Mm. It was like, Here's all the rules and all the ways to do it. And so if you just do these things, then you're gonna you you've done it. You've 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 succeeded. And then I think you can you can jump forward to um, chapter ten where um, he's basically doing he's 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 doing what you did on Sunday, right? Here's all the reasons why I am awesome, and I have followed these rules, and I've done all these things, and ultimately, what does that come down to? And his list, by the way, was much more impressive than mine. (laughs) I have cussed less than you have. I have exercised far more than you have. I'm more discerning. I've been drunk less. I've done less drugs. I've, you know, I've done more for the poor, right? So he's listing off all these things. I've baptized more people than you. Here's all the reasons why you should think I am awesome. And then to get down to the end of it, and he says, uh, just to to read his, his humor here, he says, okay, so now here's the question, to be honest. So what do you think of me now? A, I'm incredibly impressed, Brent. You're amazing. I want to hang out with someone as inspiringly clean living as you. Or B, maybe you mean well, but I kind of like to punch you in the face. Or C, there is no kind of, I just want to punch you in the face. Or D, seriously, Brent, I'm coming to punch you in the face. <laughs> <laughs> you know, so it's like it's like this whole this whole idea of, um, you know, he didn't God didn't call us to the to the pie chart life. To go back to chapter, uh, I think it was chapter seven. Um, or chapter eight, uh, he didn't call us the pie chart life. He wants us to know. Uh, he wants to know us, and he wants us to know him. He wants us to know, uh, know him, and want him. Not just ideas or abstractions, or as we talked about the rules of following him. Um, he, he's you know to tie it back to the take a stand. It's you know quit thinking it's up to you to police people. Right. Mm-hmm. It's not just about the things that you can do and how you can show the world how much better you are. Quit trying to parent the whole world and offering advice that exactly zero people asked for. And uh, you know it's like so I, I think that I thought that stood out really a lot because you know, we, we try to live this life, right? We've, we've made some of those decisions to not do the drugs, to not have sex before marriage, or to, um, to, to spend our money in certain ways, or to help the poor, or whatever that list looks like. And um, we've made that decision, but is it bringing us joy, or is it just trying to build up our, uh, our, our, our platform, or our podium, or whatever that we're trying to stand ourselves up on and say, look at how good I am, when, as you, as you, again, go back to your friend, that's like, ah, that's the outlier. You know, everybody else seems to be building up their podium, but it's the ones that are not. It's the ones that actually are making a connection with people. And Ooh. so uh, that, was, that was just something that the, over the, the course of a couple of chapters um, just really started sticking out to me. It's like, man, we are just, we're, we're so... I, I, we talked about self-righteous, you know, being self-righteous. We're mad about other people's sin. We're not mad, we're not mad about our own. And so when we're constantly trying to build ourselves up as being the, the, the standard of living yeah, and not just realizing, man, we suck at this too. I, I think with, with that list in mind and with that propensity that you just explained and, and reiterated from the book about how we, we, we can mistake our morality trying to puff ourselves up, trying to make ourselves feel better, trying to earn God's favor. Uh, I, I want to jump on one particular story that he shared 
that I'll even say as, as a pastor here at Colonial, I want so much for us as a church. Do you guys remember the, the dumpster pastor story? Oh my goodness. I love this story. If you, if you haven't read the book, let me, let me paraphrase the story he tells in chapter nine. Uh, he goes back to, to a, a time that before the internet, not that long ago still, um, and a pastor had a secret habit of looking at adult magazines, pornography. Uh, and at one point his wife left for a few days on a trip and, uh, he got his magazines out of hiding and, uh, just dwelt on that. And, uh, and then he was convicted and just felt awful about it. And that's what shame does and guilt and, and, and maybe even conviction from the Lord. And, and he threw all the magazines in the dumpster. Um, but then before she got home, if I remember the story, right, he wanted to get him back out. Um, and so he finds himself trying to find, it's just a sad, pathetic story uh, that if you can't relate to specifically, we can, we can all relate to in the way sin entangles us and draws us back in. And he, the, the story is that this guy falls into the dumpster, breaks his arm, and can't get out. And what a, what a metaphor. He's trapped in a dumpster with junk all over him, including these adult magazines. And this is how his wife finds out about his secret sin. And I, I just want to read this part toward the end. He says, uh, since hearing that true story, I think about that guy sometimes. This is on page 64. Honestly, I don't think about what a loser he is or what a hypocrite he is. Instead, I wonder if he's still married. I wonder if his wife forgave him. I think about what it might have been like to be so obviously busted, so humiliatingly, crushingly, can't explain this one, busted, and then forgiven. And you knew I was going here. That's all of us, if we're honest. It may not be pornography we're talking about, but in one way or another, we're all the dumpster pastor. I found myself wondering what it would be like to be part of a church of nothing but dumpster pastors, people who know they've been caught, their lies exposed, and then set free. I think it would be a very, very fun, free, joyous church. Um, oh my goodness. Like that, I just, I just stopped when I was reading that the first time. And even as I go back and relive it, I'm like, yes, that that's when we experience the grace of God for ourselves, it, it changes the way we interact with people. It changes the way we, we judge or, or refuse to judge people around us. Um, I love that. I, I do have a taste of that here at colonial. I don't want to remotely imply that we don't have grace-filled people extending grace. Uh, I have, I have tangibly experienced that with a number of people here at Colonial, and all I want is more of that. I want more of that for our people. I want more of that for people who have not yet come to Colonial, come to Christ, um, and that's tied to this unoffendable living. I really do believe he's he's onto something here. And I think uh, the ministry that I would say points the most towards us actually addressing the dumpster pastor and all of us is Celebrate Recovery. Yes. That meets on Friday nights. Are they still meeting? They're meeting. Now they're meeting first, third, fifth Fridays okay. uh, as opposed to every week. And there's some few other CR chapters or, or yeah. gatherings across the city yeah. on different nights. But I could not agree with you more. Tell, t- tell us a little more why that is. Yeah. So I, I, um, I am I'm usually on the road on Friday nights traveling with my job. So I, I'm not there regularly. But when I go, it, it, and I, through other things that Jessica and I uh, do with the people we engage with, uh, 
just the, it's the person who is willing to walk into a celebrate recovery or an alcoholics anonymous or uh, a recovery ministry or faith refuge faith mission the hope centers here in town uh not because they're being forced to which may be a good thing in some situations but because they are like i i know i need help i know jesus is the way and to be actually turning towards uh, jesus in their brokenness where a lot of people in this case the problem with I think a misnomer that we, as a maybe even as a church family, have about a, a ministry like CR or Celebrate Recovery is that it's only for people who've hit rock bottom. That's not necessarily true. Like we all need to realize that we are all broken. We still have issues to work through. We still like, no matter how far I've come in Jesus, there are still recoveries that I need to be celebrating. And, uh, and, and I'll interrupt real quick. Even more specifically, I think we we put CR in a. Um, in a box, a little tiny box of, it's about addiction. It's about uh, drug addiction, or even more uh, commonly, alcohol addiction. And to your point, it's, 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 for, I, it's for everyone. Yeah, yeah. It, uh, it's and, not about that. Dude. And one of the things you do in CR is you break up into uh, small groups of uh, men or women, um, depending on the group you're in, obviously. And what, when you introduce yourself, whatever sin or issues you're dealing with and sometimes it for the person may be an actual drug addiction sometimes it's shame or pride or lust or the list goes on and on and on like i think honestly celebrate recovery is for anybody and everybody who is willing to draw closer to jesus and into a community of people who also are shown showing the same turning towards jesus Uh, so i and and uh, Brant actually, uh, right after the passage you mentioned, says, hey, walk into many AA meetings or celebrate recovery groups, and you'll find something like that uh, as far as a place where there's that free, joyous church. So I think it's great that we come together on Sundays, um, but I think in small groups here at Colonial and in our Celebrate Recovery ministry uh, specifically are the two places where that's where yes. we can actually be in community with people where we're you have to be vulnerable. There has to be a level of a level of vulnerability here. I, I've got to be willing to go into some things that I'm not comfortable with. That may I may be offended by some of the things that I find in my own self. Like that's Brant's talking a lot about this book about like I should be offended of, about the sin in my own life, and until I'm willing to address that, I'm I'm not going to be the image bearer, the human that that I was created to be. That's our purpose: is to yeah. be real, to be yeah. To be vulnerable and let to, and let God work in us and through us. That's well said. To to anyone out there, I might even be this specific. To anyone out there who maybe even even is a little disillusioned by a Sunday morning church experience, or someone who walks into a big auditorium, a sanctuary, and it's just this large group experience, sitting in rows, listening to somebody talk, and and you're either consciously or even subconsciously just craving more, I would throw out there, check out Celebrate Recovery. Like, take a risk, go to a couple Friday night meetings in a row, and just experience, you don't even have to talk, experience uh, being in a room with 15, 20, 25 people um, who are very authentic and very much wrestling with their own depravity and and see if that maybe, for lack of a better 
you know, way of saying it, you know, floats your boat. Like, oh, this is, this is what the church could be. Um, I have heard numerous people talk specifically about AA over the years, and I know this applies to CR too, that that's where they really discovered, oh, this is what church could be. This level of, of authenticity and raw exchange and humility. And uh, I really want to encourage anybody listening that if, if that's something that interests you, don't make, don't put it in a little box. Oh, that's about addiction recovery. No, it's, it's really about coming to grips with who you really are and what God wants to do in you. I really believe that. I really believe that. Well, I think that's a, uh, a good place to wrap it up. If you are interested in more information about CR, about Celebrate Recovery, you can go to colonialchurch.com slash CR. Um, not only is there information about our Friday night, there's also information about other nights that are available throughout the week in other parts of the city. So if Friday nights don't work for you and you want to check it out, there are directions and places, other places and times that you can go and, and check that out. Um, I know we only kind of made it through like chapter 10, uh, chapters 11 and 12 really are, are a lot of kind of um, examples of what he's talking about, stories of other people that are, that are living this out, this forgiveness and, um, and, and letting go of things and, and being that, that, that patient person to, uh, to spend time with other people. So don't skip over those chapters uh, like we're going to. Um, I, I like chapter 13 as well, but I'm going to save that for next week because we're out of time. Ooh, so ooh. I was just um, about to interrupt you and yeah, say, well, yeah, we yeah. have to talk about 13. No, I know, I know, but I know. The, you know we what, do, let's, I agree, let's do it justice and start there next week. That's I'll, what I was thinking. I, like I, I, just don't, I don't think we have enough time to get to it today. So um, we did have one other comment that came in. Um, Terry Johnson says, uh, chapter 10's title is the best title ever. Uh, prove me wrong. So uh, chap- chapter 10 is idea. Let's punch Brant in the face. <laughs> So uh, <laughs> if you think you have a better title, I, I don't know. I mean, he has some he has some pretty good other ones. This is the chapter about how we are just barely smart enough to be stupid. That's that's for next week. And, um, so th- there's there's some good ones, but uh, but yeah. So I, I don't want to jump over. Um, I don't want to jump over chapter thirteen. I want to start there next week. So so we're gonna do uh, thirteen through. Um, I think it was seventeen. Thirteen through nineteen. Thirteen through nineteen. Thirteen I through like nineteen. It. So I have to say this. Speaking of that great. Uh, chapter title, let's punch Brant in the face. I had a awesome moment after uh, the second service on Sunday. There was a, a, an older lady that I had never met before came up to me and she looked kind of miffed and she was with one of her friends who was kind of grinning behind her. So I, I, I kind of thought this was going to go well, but I didn't know. And she said, I don't know if I want to hit you or hug you. <laughs> That's the first what, thing. What you do? What you do, Lauren? Um, well, I'm I'm fairly slow and out of shape, but I still think I think I could have taken her if it came to that. But no, she said she she smiled a little bit after that, and she said, "This is exactly what I need to hear." Like mm-hmm. I just have been wrestling with how I've treated people, and I've been told by one of my friends I'm not kind, mm-hmm. and and I think there's some anger in me, mm-hmm. and and I hear God today just for the last 30 minutes talking to me and thank you. And I, it was so such a fun, holy moment to go, Oh, that that's awesome. Cause I know he's talking to me. Mm-hmm. I, I was able to tell her with great sincerity, I mean, I'm, I'm learning everybody as much, if not more than anybody that's listening to me talk. I'm reading, listening to Craig Rochelle a little bit, reading this book, unoffendable, um, searching the scriptures. Um, the spirit of God is just convicting me. As, as unoffendable as I think I am, I'd like to think I'm down that road a little bit. I have got a long way to go. 
<laughs> um, so good stuff. I almost got hit by an elderly lady at church. Which yeah, that would have been awesome. Which was awesome. I wish the cameras would have still been rolling. That would have been fun. Um, okay, so uh, we'll we'll come back next week. We'll start with chapter 13 and go through around 19-ish um, and see if I make another executive decision and say, nope, we're not going to do that one either until next week. So uh, a couple more weeks. So you still have time. If you have not read this book, it is a quick read. It's It's funny. Um, if you have a sense of humor, uh, so it makes it a little bit more enjoyable to read rather than just beat you over the head and say, stop being offended. Um, it's a, it's a fun one. So, uh, so we'll pick it up there next week. Brett, thanks for, uh, thanks for coming in on your Monday morning. And yeah, Brett. Thanks, had guys. A, thanks had a long weekend. Here. It's been fun. Being here to spill your guts and <laughs> tell us all, all about yourselves. And, uh, we, we, we want you and, uh, we want you and Jessica to come back sometime so we can love it. We can hear more about you guys and, and the things that uh, that you guys are involved in outside of Colonial. And, and I know that Jessica has a, uh, a list of those things that she has um, championed and been a part of. So um, we, we definitely want to get to that. So thank you. Thanks for being here. Thanks, guys. Appreciate y'all. All right. This is the E6 Podcast from Colonial Church. You can always get more information about Colonial at colonialchurch.com or the App Store, the Google Play Store, where you can download our app. We would love to hear from you. So if you think you have a better chapter title, uh, we'd love to hear that. If you have questions or thoughts about the book and you want to hear us talk about those kinds of things, um, hit us up. Let us know. Podcast at colonialchurch.com. Thank you for listening. We will pick up our conversation again next week.